You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. There are monsters all over the world. In every culture, we humans paint the canvas of shadows with the palette of fear and wonder. Even in Japan, a country that has reinvented itself as a showcase of modernity and technology, the folklore of monsters is culturally significant and remarkably diverse. There, they're known as yokai, and you'll hear more about them next on Monster Talk. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith, and in this episode, Ben Radford and I will be interviewing Matt Alt and Hiroko Yoda about their book, Yokai Attack, the Japanese Monster Survival Guide. But first, a couple of bits of housekeeping. Monster Talk is proud to announce that we won the 2012 Parsec Award for Best Fact Behind the Fiction Podcast. This was our third nomination and our first win, and we're delighted. Ben and I accepted in person at the award ceremony, which is held each year at DragonCon. Our submission for the award was an excerpt from episode number 41. If you haven't listened to that one, you should. It's a doozy. It's called The Big Bad Wolf. Also, our co-host, Dr. Karen Stolzno, is getting married to Rocky Mountain Paranormal Investigator Matthew Baxter this week. So congratulations! Hopefully, they'll have a lovely wedding, a lovely honeymoon, and she'll get back in front of a Monster Talk microphone where she belongs. <laughs> now on to our interview. Monster Talk. So today we're talking to Hiro Koyota and Matt Alt, a husband and wife team who run a translation company, as well as writing books on monsters and ninja. 
Matt was previously on episode 30, Unmasking the Ninja. And today we're discussing a new edition of his book, Yokai Attack, the Japanese Monster Survival Guide. And, you know, since we talked, a lot of stuff has happened. Uh, the Fukushima disaster happened, and I saw you. I didn't see you. I guess I heard you on CNN covering that. How are things going with that? Yeah, it's, it's, it was a pretty hectic time for uh, a little while there, more than a little while. I mean, things have only really just started getting back to normal now. Um, nothing like a, a massive natural and man-made disaster to kind of uh, throw a little spice in the thing, so to speak. And it was just a huge tragedy uh, all around. But fortunately, things are getting back to normal now. Good. Yes. All right. So let's let's uh, get on to something a little more light. Now, so what are yokai, <laughs> and how are they different from Japanese monsters we are more familiar with here in America, like uh, Godzilla and then J horror movies and Pokemon? Well, first of all, monsters like Godzilla or the giant dudes who Ultraman fights, or those kind of monsters who we uh, associate with uh, as Japanese monsters in the West, are known as kaiju in Japanese. And uh, that word, actually, uh, a lot of people in America, a lot of monster fans know it as well. But kaiju is, is generally the word used for giant monsters that stomp on cities and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it has its and, own word. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it also does our characters. It's copyrighted. It's that somebody, somebody owns it. But yokai, on the other hand, they are, they are, they are, they are coming from Japanese traditions or um, historical not historical, oral um, traditions, that kind, that sort of things. And nobody, folklore. Folklore, yes, exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. The difference between Godzilla and, say, a leprechaun, you know, it's, it's uh, or, you know, or Godzilla and an elf or something like that. Okay. You know, All right. They, they are uh, basically, yokai in a nutshell, I guess you could say, are like superstitions with personalities because they are the things that in times of old, Japanese people came up with to explain the, the strange happenings in the natural world around them that couldn't be explained with science because science hadn't come to Japan at that time or anywhere else for that matter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's, a, that's a good description. I like the way you put that. I was, uh, I was looking through your book uh, not only this afternoon but, uh, but over the last couple of days, and uh, it's just real, I just love the format. It's you know, these really interesting illustrations and, and sort of almost uh, Dungeons & Dragons-like yes. characteristics and things like that. And it was just interesting sort of seeing um, you know, all, the, all the varieties of monsters. And you know, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with monsters around the world, although th this had – I mean I probably had only heard of maybe um, a half dozen of these. And I was really uh, intrigued to sort of see how in-depth you go into these. Um, but one thing I noticed as I was reading through them is that with a few exceptions like the, the, the Nekomata, the, the two-tailed cat or the – I think it's the Nurikabe, the, the huge black wall, um, most yokai seem to be anthropomorphic. Uh, you know, they have human you know, arms and legs and features and things like that. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, you know, Japan has a long tradition of what is called animism. And I'm not sure if you know what that means off the top of your head, but it's basically a belief – that a that anything, not just people or animals, anything, even like a rock or a tree, can have a soul. And uh, you know, because of this way of looking at the world, basically anything was fair game to be a anthropomorphized or personified. And that's why you see so many yokai that take the form. There are even yokai that take the form of everyday objects that have faces and hands and feet, like old discarded sandals or umbrellas or hmm. things like that. So. Hmm. 
that kind of anthropomorphic nature of a lot of yokai is, I think, really key to what makes them different from supernatural creatures abroad. I know, I know it sounds strange, but it's not really strange because imagine you have a favorite skis, a pair of skis that, you know, it's... You, 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 know, you bought them, like, say, five or six years ago, and they're pretty much old. You know, your friends and you probably make it start, started making fun of them because it's out of, uh, I don't know, the styles or whatever. But still, you feel like, you, you know, the, the skis, the pair of skis, your favorite. And then you started the kind of, pers- uh, what's it called? It was the personal. Personifying. Personifying it. And then, so now imagine that, okay, the pair of skis is broken, and then you have mm-hmm. to them away but you know you feel kind of tingling hurting feeling because it's your favorite you know it's just you have so much memories to it and that's where um the yokai are coming from you start you know it's not just a pair of ski it's your favorite ski you know would spend a lot of time with you and then that's the yokai's you know it's partially yeah. You know, and there's an, another, another, no, it's good. That's actually really good. And there's another example of this kind of animism that even people in the West, do. there's a lot of people out there who, when they're walking in the room and they stub their toe on a chair or something like that, will then kick the chair kind out of anger. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why would you do that? I mean, if you believe that that chair has absolutely no, you know, uh, will of its own, why would you punish it by kicking it? You know, and. Well, I was in a, a, a friend of mine's car um, a couple months back, and his car was dying, and he was trying to get it started. And he, he reaches over and starts stroking lovingly the dashboard, as if as if he just if he just pets the dashboard, then suddenly you know the transmission will kick in. It just it's just a weird the sort of personification. So oh, I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah, I, I know. But I have family members who named their car. You know, so yeah, I get it. <laughs> The military names all of its ships. They call them by female, you know, a ship is always a she or a her. You know, a lot of aircraft had kind of names, especially during World War II and things like that, uh, you know, that were names and faces associated with them. So this kind of idea of personifying physical things in the world around you that obviously aren't alive is, uh, although the yokai are kind of the most extreme example of this, (laughs) it's certainly not limited to Japan. And that's one of the Mm -hmm. things we tell people when we're talking about them. Do the do the yokai have a place in in Shinto tradition, or are they kind of separate? Uh, separate. Okay. Yes, those are more um, like you said, uh, pointed out that folklore things. Um, it's it's not it's not directly related to Shinto or anything like that. But that said, there's a strong animistic component to Shinto, where uh, Shinto is very much about worshiping the natural world and uh, paying respect to. There are all sorts of deified trees or deified waterfalls or deified caves and places like that in, in Shinto. So there is, there's no direct overlap, but there's certainly yes. a lot of conceptual overlap. Because imagine that um, a pair of glasses, um, you know, right now, if you started uh, losing your eye visions, and all you have to do is buy a contact lens or um, uh, the pair of glasses. That's a technology. And then, so, so in Japan, in the sh- shrine area, actually there's a memorial for a pair of glasses. Yeah, used eyeglasses. Used eyeglasses. <laughs> Just because, you know, if you, without a pair of glasses, you, you, you won't be able to do anything. You're just basically blind. And then Interesting. so. Yeah, and so 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 if you so just like uh, just like Matt said that um, in Shinto, you know the uh, the people Japanese people um, appreciate surroundings. Well, yes, we appreciate surroundings because without sun, um, no crops would grow, um, or without rain, the crops would die. 
Um, you know, things like that. It just, it's just people cannot live alone. And then it's and then it did show the respect and then the unappreciations to the environment. And that's 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 the idea. So that I know that yokai are not directly related to Shintoism, but that kind of concept, the appreciations, uh, it's it's totally shared. What can you tell us about the history of yokai as a field of study? Uh, you know, as you're mentioning, it sort of goes back to folklore and mythology, but but the the whole idea that folklore and mythology are subjects that are inherently worthy of as, of academic study is actually a fairly new <laughs> new concept. So, what what can you tell us about the history of people looking at it as a particular field and not just sort of as you know as beliefs? Well, I think it's really interesting that the that the the first person to ever put a lot of yokai stories down, uh, put pen to paper, was actually not a Japanese person. He was a foreigner by the name of Lafcadio Hearn, who was uh, married to a, a Japanese woman here in Japan at the turn of the uh, 20th century, the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And uh, he he was a big fan of the occult. He had actually been married to a voodoo priestess in in. Uh, in, in New Orleans in the late 1800s, which must have, must, must have caused a scandal, uh, a white man and an African-American getting married in the Deep South in the, in the, in the 1800s was, to put it mildly, not, not mainstream at all. But uh, after they separated, uh, he spent some time in Martinique and, and a lot of uh, places like that and eventually made his way to Japan, where he married a Japanese woman and started hearing about all sorts of yokai stories, ghost stories, supernatural stories, and wrote a book called In Ghostly Japan. And it was the first time that anybody had ever, it, for Japanese people, stories about kappa or stories about tengu or stories about ghosts were, I, you, nobody wrote them down because there was no need to. Everybody knew what they were. Everybody, if you, if you mentioned them, people could finish your sentence because these were just part and parcel of Japanese oral tradition and culture. But to Lafcadi O'Hearn, they were very new and he wrote them down. And uh, when, that, when that book was translated into Japanese a few years later, uh, it ironically kicked off a sort of it kicked off the entire folklore studies uh, uh, field in Japan, which was picked up by other scholars uh, who sort of ran with that ball. And now it's a very respected uh, field here in in Japan. So you wrote that Dr. Inreo Inoue yes. de- developed yokai gaiku to catalog and debunk these these creatures. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what he was like and what his writing was like? Well, he's an interesting uh, individual. Um, well, he actually known he known as anti supernatural things, anti yokai, anti ghost. They, they they he basically tried to prove that yokai don't exist or ghosts don't exist. But the thing is that he it's so obvious that he loves those things. He has a mixed mix, uh, mix feel. I don't know how to explain it. Well, what Hiroko is saying is because he kept, he kept such detailed yeah. records on each one of these things that, ironically, even though he is seen as and known as Dr. Yokai, the man who set out to debunk uh, superstition mm-hmm. across Japan and was succeeded to a large extent, he's actually, you could compare him to a, a James Randi or something like that, who's dedicated to kind of, uh, uh, you know, dispelling myths of, of superstitions and things like that. In spite of that, he actually dutifully recorded all of these myths. So hmm. records are ironically one of the, the, the strongest records a lot of people that we have today of what people believed back then. Right. So actually there is a park um, that created by Dr. Inoue in Nakano. And, but the park, it, it still you can go there <laughs> today. Yeah. 
anyway, it's a re- but it's really strange in the park because there's a tree, uh, willow, willow, uh, willow tree. I forget which tree, uh, what uh, what kind of a tree that was. But anyway, he uh, he act- actually brought that tree because everybody believed that there's a ghost under the tree. So he <laughs> he brought that the the sp- uh, haunted tree and then and then planted in the park. And he's trying to prove that there's no ghost in the tree. The thing, it's so strange thing. So that attracts a lot of people. And so um, he's a very uh, interesting and a famous um, individual in a, in a weird yeah. sort of way. I'm, I'm definitely going to have to read more about him. He sounds like a, a, a man after my own heart. Uh, that's how I am. I'm very skeptical, but I love monster folklore. I love it. Put him against this background yeah. that Japan was like this feudal country until 1860, yeah. until 1868. Um, a few years before that, the Americans sailed in and basically mm-hmm. opened Japan. It had been this kind of closed off kingdom that, that nobody right. could enter or leave. And they so rapidly uh, modernized that basically these scientific concepts and these yokai concepts were existing together at the same time in history in a way that you didn't see so much in the West where, uh, techno- uh, where modernization was more of a gradual process. So that's where he came in to try to kind of be a proponent of science while debunking uh, uh, this sort of thing in the background. In your, in your book, you talk about the, as I recall, you mentioned the fact that the first yokai drawings, if I'm not mistaken, were actually depicted in service of like a satire, right? Or like some sort of like social satire. What, what's that about? Yeah, there's a, there's a great artist by the name of Toriyama Sekien, who was uh, active around the mid-1770s. Uh, we like to say around the same time George Washington was being elected president is when his first book came out. And at the time in Japan, there was a, Japan had a, a very active printing industry uh, as, as far back as the, as the early 1700s. And uh, at that time in Japanese history, um, encyclopedias were very popular. Uh, compilations of Chinese herbs, compilations of, of you know, animals, kind of early biological texts, early grammatical texts and things like that. And as a parody of that, Toriyama Sekien created the world's first yokai encyclopedia by gathering all sorts of information from his friends and people he knew and from the countryside. And he's the first person to ever actually draw what they looked like, quote unquote. So his illustrations of them really influence what uh, people, when people think of various yokai, what they look like. His illustrations are basically uh, where that all comes from today. How, how well known are these yokai legends even in modern Japan? Are they, are they still fairly commonly told or... Is it more historical now? A very common subject. Actually, if you if you ask, you just pick one Japanese a Japanese person walking on the street and ask and say, "Do you know yokai?" They they, they will answer yes, hundred percent. It's just it's so popular. Um, but I don't know the depth of the knowledge. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The depth of knowledge is you know is of course different from individual. Sure. Definitely, you know, from the kids to old. They know Kappa, they know uh, Tengu. Um, you know, there's certain there's certain uh, the yoga which we cover at the very beginning part. Are, um, definitely, they know. That, that's actually one of the me- reasons why we decided to to create the English version of a yokai book because um, in Japan, yokai is so popular. But once you step out of Japan, nobody knows what it is. Um, and so we, that's, that's actually one of the main reasons why we created this book, Yokai Attack. So in addition to the folklore aspect, do, how, how, how many people b- do you think believe in them? I don't know. I don't know. See, the question is, uh, it's belief is, is a right, uh, right to ask because, um, you know, so the basic is, do you believe in ghosts? 
Well, and yeah. Which may be different from is the, is are you scared of one? Which is a different thing. You know, I get it. <laughs> yeah, but, but kids are scared. But you know, but still, the, the, being scared and and, and uh, being scared and also being entertained are a really fine line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so, so kids, kids just a lot of kids say, "Oh, I'm so scared of yokai," but. After that, they say, "Oh, I love this yokai," you know, because da 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 da. They, they, they. Many of many of like my like myself. I um I love yokai ever since I was a little girl. I grew up with those things, <laughs> and I know I'm not special. It just it just um yokais are fun things. That's what we. They're see. like the original characters. You know, every every mascot that you see on a Japanese, you know, product, every Pokemon, every, you know, even, you know, even in science fiction anime and things like that, the portrayals of giant robots and all mm-hmm. sorts of other uh, creatures that all owe a really huge debt to the yokai, which are really Japan's first characters in an era before mass media existed. I have to say, after reading your book. Uh, a lot of the video games and anime I've seen uh, seem less crazy or, or less, I mean, just, I don't know what the right word is, so different than anything I've seen before. Because some of these these concepts really uh, fit in uh, better with knowing the folklore aspect of it. You mentioned uh, in the book some of Studio Ghibli. Is that how you say that? I always, yes, yes, okay. yes. Studio Ghibli uh, seemed influenced by yokai, especially like I didn't know that, uh, you know, Mononoke meant, meant ghosts. So that the right. Princess Mononoke story seems very uh, influenced by this, if I'm reading it right. You know, it's interesting because Mononoke doesn't mean ghost. They, trans- they, they translated it that way because there was no way to really translate that word. And Mononoke is really a yokai. Um, it's hmm. another way of saying yokai, and yokai are very different from ghosts because a ghost is a someone, right? That's somebody who has passed away and has decided to not shuffle off this mortal coil for whatever reason. So a, yo- a ghost is a, is a someone, but a yokai is a something, and they're, they're actually like minor gods in a lot of cases. The, they're, they're very, there's, there's, and there is some overlap between the two, but if you take that someone versus something – you can kind of start to see that basically, if you look at if you look at Mononoke Hime, there aren't any ghosts in that. They're all dealing with these spirits that live in the woods and these spirits that live in the mountains and these yes. spirits that, that that are these deities of uh, these these natural deities. And what basically people lose when technology starts to eat into our natural resources. So actually, I think Ghost Princess is, is not a good translation of the title of that film, although I understand why they did it. It's really more like Yokai Princess. Yeah, and I think the Spirit Away maybe even captured it better uh, as yeah. far as the, the, the way that they're kind of gods, kind of demons. Yes. Uh, really, really cool movies. If our listeners haven't seen those, they should totally get them. <laughs> well, yeah. No, Mononoke Hime is a great, great film. Uh, we really like Spirited Away, too. And actually, my neighbor Totoro is, is very – Totoro is very Yokai-like. Yeah. Uh, He's referred to as a god in the in the in the actual uh, film itself, but really his his treatment is extremely yokai like, and uh, I, I don't think you can even really fully appreciate Ghibli's films unless you understand a little bit about Japanese folklore and mythology. When I was reading through the book, I um, there was one particular one that that jumped out at me, and um, and that's partly because of my my background in urban legends, and that was the uh, the Kuchisake An- Ana. Yes. Yes. And it seems to have like really strong elements of, of modern urban legend. Uh, can you uh, t- tell us more about that? It, it's just so cool. Yeah. Well, the Kitsitake Onna, I would say, is the last 
last yokai we created. In other words, the most modern yokai we have. Well, what, so <laughs> she, okay, that, she was very popular um, during the 70s when I was, uh, I was in elementary school. That, that obviously there's no internet. So it's a pure um, the oral, uh, what's it called? It, 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 it basically, it's just straight entire Japan. It's a mass hysteria. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we don't know where that um, or, or the origin. I don't know what I don't. We don't know. We have no idea where that woman came from. But it's just people started talking about it. But, but then, for for those who do, for those who don't know, because I've read it, so I have some idea. But give it give tell us what the story is about it, and then tell us more about it. Yeah, the the, the Kujisake Onna is is as Hiroko was saying. The Kujisake Onna is one of Japan's most recent yokai, and basically, she takes the form of a very normal looking woman who is wearing a surgical mask, which actually sounds strange in the West because we don't walk around on the street with surgical masks, but it's very common in Asia. When uh, you have a cold or there's cold season going around, uh, just as an etiquette sort of thing, to wear a, a gauze uh, surgical mask around outside. So that in and of itself isn't that strange. But what she does is she basically haunts uh, uh, the paths that kids take to elementary school. And when she encounters a kid or when a kid runs into her, she asks the kid, do I look pretty? And if the kid answers yes... Then she peels off her mask to reveal a mouth that is stretches from ear to ear with with hundreds of sharp bangs in there and says, do I still look pretty? And if answer yes again, she pulls out a knife and cuts your mouth just like hers. And if you answer no, she stabs you to death anyway. anyway. So anyway. I, don't, I, don't <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is so cool. Yeah. Anyway, there is a background story. Well, so, so the background story was, well, the woman went to the dentist. And then and the dentist was quack. And then so he hurt her. It was his uh, mis, uh, mistake during this, uh, the oral surgery or whatever. And then mm-hmm. he flashed it. So that really traumatized her, quote, unquote. And then also, so one of the technique that the kids can run away from her or um, at least scare her. It's called a uh, pomado. What is hair, pomado? Hair pomade. You know, like it's, it's like a it's a precursor to hair gel or hair mousse. Okay. Pomade. Okay, but well, that smells so bad that I don't know. Today the pomado smells bad or anything, but it's the seventies. The pomado smells Very so oily. bad, oily. Anyway, so if so the the kids. So if you encounter slash mouth woman, say pomado three times. And she will be scared and run away because she was traumatized by the dentist, which has a lot of pomado. So we have no idea. But that kind of background stories were just like spread out entire Japan. Like another that, that example is like the woman is driving um, the red. Yeah, this is this is yeah. She's she's supposed to be. And so you might think to yourself, okay, well, what if I just run away really fast, right? Well, it turns out that the that the Kuchisake Onna is like faster than an Olympic sprinter. She's <laughs> fast, and so okay. Well, what if I'm like the number one kid on my sports team? Like I can probably outrun her. Well, actually, she's been sighted driving a Lamborghini too. And will drive you down if you try to run away. So, like you can see this kind of. There's all these key elements in here. Dent- uh, kids are afraid of dentists. A lot of them. 
you know, and, you know, kids are obviously afraid of monsters. So there's a lot of kind of different elements in here that all combine in this perfect storm to create this really amazing character. Right. So, it's, and also, those are, you know, we are talking about the kids here. So the kids start talking and say, um, you know, my friend's friend's sister heard a story, you know, that she saw um, the slash mouse woman kind of thing. And then um, it was just, it was it was actually it was a really amazing uh, mass hysteria. Yeah, well, like the telephone game. Yeah, exactly, telephone game. You know. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. (laughs) That's what I was going to ask. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's classic friend of a friend folklore urban legend material i mean it's just it's just pristine i mean i'm i'm, I'm frankly surprised someone hasn't already made you know a, a horror film about it and I'm, i i could just picture the storyboards right now um but i, so I was going to say so now now it was were there any reports in newspapers of the, of anybody actually seeing her or was it all just friend of a friend you know my cousin's best friend's you know hairdresser told me it's it's it, the answer is the last one. It just nobody saw her. Um, it just I heard and so I heard somebody and, and that kind of things. But it, but still, it was good enough to cause mm-hmm. uh, hysteria. So the kids started freaking. Some of the school actually canceled the class because the kids are just scared. They they go to school or <laughs> oh the, the the school principal principal right the um he he actually. They they actually um, uh, the issued issue I don't know the, the rules to to go to go home in a group mm-hmm. or you know the, or um, the, I heard that the police actually get the free uh, hysteric phone call that I saw slash woman like uh, slash woman like woman I can I go home can you can you come home with me kind of thing and then the police actually escorted some of the kids it, it was. So that kind of stuff was just, you know, was... Uh, yeah, so there were reports about the phenomenon. There were reports about the phenomenon, but there's a couple interesting things about this, one of which is that it's you can kind of see almost in real time how a yokai developed. You know, and you can imagine back in time, this very similar process was at work, 
where, um, you know, one person would tell one person, another person, and then like it would get kind of a little bit, oh, maybe I misheard it a little bit. It would get exaggerated because that's just how people are. And by the end of it, uh, what had been probably a very minor incident had mutated into this crazy monster that actually does start affecting real life. Because if kids are calling the cops and need them to escort them home or schools are, are you know, canceling classes, this is actually an example of yokai really having an effect on the real world. And it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon that way. <laughs> yeah, that's that is that is cool. I just I'm always fascinated by those stories where you have essentially in 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 what in folklore they call ostension, where you know something is sort of cre- taken you know based in a folkloric um, setting. For example, you know the Bloody Mary, you know saying Bloody Mary three times in front of mirrors. Basically, people people enacting you know folklore related you know events. So that that's kind of cool. And that and what what that what the Kuchisaka reminded me of was um, the La Llorona story, which I I've, uh, wrote a book chapter on recently, where uh, there's stories, this, you know, the, this, the weeping woman who drowned her children, uh, and it's primarily in Mexico and, and other places in the Southwest, but there are stories about um, uh, that she's, uh, she's a, a young, you know, she's this young, beautiful woman, and a, uh, a man will go up to her and, and sort of proposition her, and, uh, and when she turns around, uh, what used to be a, a young, beautiful woman is this horrific, you know, skull faced woman you know and they, of course they freak out and run around so yeah, that is that's like is a huge yokai like story i mean right yeah, there in a nutshell uh is is i mean and it's interesting because these these i i the yokai their expression as characters is uniquely japanese but the the terror and the fear that they tap into is not uniquely japanese we all share that and that's the, the reason why i think everybody can appreciate yokai because once you're explained a little bit what their background is, you're like, oh man, yeah, I'd have been scared by that too, you know? And so there's this kind of essential humanity to all of these stories, you know? Uh, whether it's that one you're just talking about, about a woman losing her child and, and turning into a creature, or kids afraid to commute home on the way from school. I mean, that's scary if you're only six years old, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that story actually the, reminded me more of Onibaba, um, because didn't she, she killed her babies and then became a wandering uh, monster, right? Isn't that her origin? Onibaba was uh, is a creature, a yokai who cuts the livers out of unborn fetuses. She kind of preys on uh, pregnant women traveling on the uh, the roads in, in old Japan. And you know, back in time before uh, highways and subway systems and things like that, you had to walk everywhere. Uh, and and you know, even if you were pregnant, even if you were a kid, even if you were you know uh, handicapped, physically handicapped, and there was all sorts of things that could happen to you out in the wilderness, uh, in between towns, which were kind of a lawless zone in Japan, even even uh, up to like the eighteen hundreds or so. So it's very easy to see how people would talk about things that happen to travelers. You know, whether it's, whether they had fallen to some natural fate or whether they you know somebody had attacked them. But there's no explanation for it, and it's very easy to see how stories of creatures out in the uh, in the wilderness could spread. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. The um, the that's it. The, the good thing about the yokai is, is that yokai is not really uh, your enemy. Like, for, well, you know, um, since you know uh, you brought the the case of Onibaba, I'm gonna just uh, make it kind of talk about it further a little bit. Um, you know, the, yes, it sounds like she is a you know the cold blood murderer, but it, but it, on the background story is that she she was actually ordered by a higher higher up people, and then and then she she was actually basically trying to save 
um, some princess or something like that. And um, because you know, back because back in time, and the people believed that that um, the organ part of the fetus, unborn fetus, was a great medicine to cure the princess um, disease. So she, she, so her hands. To make the story short, her hands were tied, and she had to do it. But she could do it. But finally, she did it. Kill. She found a pregnant woman, and it killed a woman, and it got the uh, got the um, organ out, an arm and fetus. But she later she found out actually the the woman she killed, she just killed, was her daughter, who you know who she was split a long time ago, because because of her um, economical uh, economic uh, the the situation. So it's a so it's a sad story right there. And and I misremembered it, and that's why I I, I remembered her killing her daughter, but I forgot that, that, that there was the other component. Sorry. So anyway, so um, so that's a yoga. Yoga is a good part. It's just not enemy. It's just something. It's always um, sad story, or um, you know, there's something that you can really share. You know, well, you know, yeah, what you is is just yes, cold blood, blood uh, murder, but if I if I were her, well, then why I would what I would do. You know that kind of things. It makes you think, you know, a little bit further. It's just, just like it's just rather than just, you know, an enemy or um, bad. bad or. Yeah. So I had a question about the word oni itself because I'd heard it translated as demon. Um, is that is that the right? I mean, there's more than one kind of oni, or is that am I misremembering that too? Demon, the thing about demon is like so many things in Japanese folklore, they're, they're kind of tough to pin down. Like demon is correct. In, in a limited sense, in, 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 the, in, in the sense that, yes, when you go to hell in the Buddhist tradition, you are, or the underworld, I guess you should say, because it's a little bit different from Judeo-Christian versions of hell, your punishment is meted out by oni, or oni-like creatures. So from that standpoint, yes, they're demons, but they're also, oni in, in a kind of folkloric standpoint, aren't demons. They're more like a, a stand-in, a personification of power beyond human comprehension, power beyond our ability to control, like physical strength, physical power that is that, that humans really can't hope to overwhelm or overcome. And the reason I think that that so many yokai are translated or called demons is because when these stories first started being heard by missionaries to Japan in the in the fifteen hundreds and sixteen hundreds and, uh, and later on in the eighteen hundreds when they started being allowed back into Japan again, that they were seen as kind of demonic sorts of creatures, and, uh, it, but they do not map in any way directly to Judeo-Christian uh, monotheistic senses of angels, demons, God, devil sort of thing. So it's, it's really, that's why I don't like using words like demon to... to uh, right, to, they're weighted. They have a lot of weight and they mean something very different over here. Yeah, absolutely. and thank you for clarifying that. I, that's a, a really important distinction. Yeah, it's, just, yes. it's, it's one of the interesting things about Japanese folklore is that it doesn't map at all to our conceptions of good, evil, uh, heaven, hell, uh, you know, God, devil, that sort of thing. Yeah, in fact, there is an idiom in Japanese called, uh, said, kokoro uh, oninisuru, that make means... Your, make your heart an oni. Yeah, make your heart oni. You know, it, that, what, what, it mean, what it means is that, um, you know, when, if, when you do something right, sometimes we, you have to make a harsh decision, even though you don't have, you don't want to do it, but to do the right, in order to do the right thing, you have to do the, you have to do harsh, uh, you have to make a harsh decision. And then so, so that, that right there, it's only, is not demon, you know, it's obviously, uh, you, 
what the EDM saying is that you try, you know, make your heart like a demon. No, it just make your heart strong. And that's what Oni means in Japanese. It's uh, powerful, strong, and beyond yeah. the human capability. Exactly. We actually don't cover Oni in Yokai Attack because we don't, we don't feel that they are Yokai. They're actually, we cover them in Yurei Attack, the sequel to Yokai Attack, which is all about ghosts because they are associated with the Japanese underworld so intimately. And they're sort of, a, they're sort of their own existence in folklore, so to speak. In, in our research, I'd come across the kappa, the, the water spirits or sprites before, but I, I learned something new in, in, in your book, and that is apparently, unless I'm mistaken, they have a particularly pungent flatulence. Um, so here's my question. If, if you were walking, say, a river or a stream on you know, a Sunday afternoon, and a kappa suddenly jumped out and held you down and farted in your face, what would it smell like? Boy, this is really this is starting to sound like these conversations that Japanese elementary schoolers have. Right? <laughs> no, maybe it smells like swamp gas. But there's a very famous story called the Mito incident, where a bunch of fishermen caught a kappa, and when it farted, it, it sickened them. They actually couldn't even breathe. It was it was that bad. So I don't know, man. Uh, and also, he, they, usually they have three holes. Yes, three anuses. <laughs> with, with three ani. Three ani. That's cool. There's a word you don't usually have to pluralize, huh? <laughs> actually, you know, and this is another example of how, uh, how yokai are part and parcel of Japanese culture. There's actually a saying, heno kappa in Japanese, heno kappa, which means uh, like a kappa's fart, which is used in Japanese in the way we use, hey, piece of cake, really easy. <laughs> so it's as easy as a <laughs> Okay, that's awesome. But <laughs> Everybody uses everybody understands that. That's a very, you know, it has roots like they go way back. Um, and maybe it's not one you want to use in polite company, but, <laughs> but it is certainly one you would use among your friends. Nice. I, I will need to start using that. Like a kappa's fart, man. Come on. We, we've, we've talked about a few of the, uh, the uh, yokai here. Uh, let's talk about your book a little bit. Um, it's, it's structured with a nice introduction, and then you go through various. Uh, yokai and talk about what their uh, characteristics are, their um, if they attack you, uh, what it's like, and then what to do to protect yourself. And then there's a little additional trivia about them. How, how did you classify the yokai and, and break them up? How did you come to those uh, classifications? Well, in traditional Japanese yokai studies, if you if you want to call it that, yokai are usually classified by where they appear such as in temples or at rivers or at mountains and things like that, which makes a lot of sense to Japanese people who are already really familiar with what the yokai are. But we felt that it would be a little bit complicated for people who weren't. So we decided to organize them by personality. Are they violent? Are they quiet? Are they helpful? Are they wimpy? Are they, do they have a more female form or a more animal-like form? Things that people would probably see and immediately kind of associate with them. And another thing we, um, we, we made sure for this book is that make sure to cover the major yoga so that readers can communicate or can have fun with Japanese people, um, especially the ones that you know, we covered in the very beginning, Kappa and Tengu, um, Zasuki Warashi. Those guys Tanuki. are Tanuki and those guys are major league. <laughs> So to speak. Yeah, class, yeah, A, A, triple A stars of the yokai world. Yeah, so we, we, make, we made sure to cover the, the big guys, too. Hmm. 
I was when I'm sort of thinking of the dichotomies between sort of Japanese yokai and, and Western monsters. One thing that jumps out at me is that typically in Western monsters, um, the monsters tend to be singular. They tend to be loners. For example, the the chupacabra or the Bigfoot or their you know the Mothman or whatever else. And they they're, they're sort of in their own little worlds. You don't really have stories about Mothmen, you know, hanging out with with Bigfoot or lake monsters. So I'm wondering in in the in the yokai. Um, arena do they know each other or is there a community of them like for example with, with the genies and the jinn because uh, the jinn are supposed to have their own sort of separate communities or do they sort of interact or are they just sort of thought as being sort of singular uh, within each realm mostly are things standalone but some are a married couple yeah, I mean, there are yokai that have relationships, <laughs> relationships with each other and like the question is whether is there like a yokai realm beyond our understanding <laughs> I think generally, yes, in folklore, but, you know, and there's plenty of movies that portray, you know, just beyond, you know, human ability to see or just beyond human understanding is this place where all the yokai kind of live together. But you got to remember that yokai are basically cobbled, the yokai lore are cobbled together from local and regional and individual people's stories. And so there isn't really any overarching uh, mythology to them other than the animism other than uh, that sort of thing that we talked about at the very beginning of the of the program. Okay, but so are they? Are, are they? I guess one thing I'm getting at is: are they thought or said to interact with each other in addition to humans? I mean, for example, uh, are there battles uh, as there might be among demigods in Norse mythology, Greek mythology? Or are they sort of? Uh, are there? Is it basically a one to one human yokai interaction? As much as we love the movie The Great Yokai War. Uh, both the 1960s version and the early 2000s version by Takashi Miike. As much as we love those films, I, I, those are basically the Japanese equivalent of Hollywood. Uh, they are not, I don't think, really based in any kind of specific folklore. Although, okay. although there is a very famous story called the Hyaki Yagyo, which uh, is called the, the Demon's Night Parade, or, uh, or the Parade of a Hundred Demons, depending on who's translating it. That is a supposedly true incident uh, over a thousand years ago when an army of yokai marched on Kyoto and actually marched along the edge of the city in a kind of show of force to be like, we're out here, people. We're out here. You know, They didn't invade the city. They kind of marched along one edge of it, which apparently struck terror into the hearts of the citizens. And that Demon's Night Parade is an example of many yokai banding together to torture people. It's probably the only real instant mm -hmm. that I can think of in Japanese folklore like that. Okay. Yeah. The Demon's Night Parade. That sounds cool. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, once again, it's, uh, it's one of those difficult to translate things because they aren't demons in, the, in that yeah. sense. It's hyaki, and that ki is, is oni. oni. Uh, back in time, the word yokai is actually fairly recent. Um, the word, the word yokai is fairly recent. All, uh, in, back in time, uh, words like mononoke, uh, which we talked about earlier, or obake, bakemono, uh, you know, oni, oni, are the oni uh, were used to refer to these creatures. And actually, that's been one of that was that's one of the reasons why there are so few, I think, texts on yokai in English because it's very difficult to kind of categorize them. And uh, that's what we set out to do with our book. So tell, when you want to go back and do monster research in Japan, um, um, I don't want to sound like an idiot, but uh, so the, the, the written language is, it's kanji, is that right? Kanji and hiragana and katakana. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so has that changed a lot? So if you want to read stuff from two or three hundred years ago, is it the same character sets, or um, is it is it fairly easy for you to read them, uh, or do you have to read newer material that references the older material? How does that work? Uh, the the words, the written characters are changed so much. Oh boy! Okay, <laughs> I um, could read it easily. Yeah. So we have to uh, to go through the the new version reinterpretation. Reinterpretation, yes. And actually, it's it's interesting because ja- the Japanese written language has changed far more dramatically in the last three to four hundred years than than written English has. We can go back and we can read a, a Shakespearean sonnet or a Shakespearean play without too much difficulty. I mean, he has some turns of phrase and words in there that we're not familiar with, but a woodblock print from the late eighteen hundreds. Those are written using a script called uh, – in a different script, and they are almost impossible for non-experts to read now. And it's really interesting because woodblock prints were – are sort of precursors to manga and comic books and that they were made for the people. They were made for everybody to read back at the time. And now – no, and Japan's level of education is very high. This isn't like an illiteracy problem. It's, it's just different. It's changed so <laughs> it's much that you can't you can't understand it anymore. So yes, you have to go back to modern day. There are there are books in Japan that are essentially translations, uh, at least textually, of these older books like Genji Monogatari, the Tale of Genji, or uh, many other books that can't really easily be read by Japanese today. Wow, I wonder if Google's aware of this. I'm, I'm loving, <laughs> I'm loving their Google Translate and Google Books and some of the stuff for research purposes on on English books. I can go back really far, but I had to do some uh, research for uh, another project I'm working on recently, and I was going back to German texts. I literally couldn't read the German at all. I mean, not just to like make it out, but I couldn't read the characters that I didn't understand what I was seeing exactly. Um, the the font was just not very much like what I expected. Um, but you know, the, the, exactly like you were saying, though the uh, the old Shakespeare, you know, the F and the S kind of get confusing sometimes. But otherwise, it's pretty pretty straightforward. So I applaud you for slogging through what you had to do because uh, there's a lot of great content here. Thank you, Hiroko. Hiroko is the master. Hiroko is the master researcher over here. I mean, I speak and read Japanese, but when you start, I mean, it's try. So imagine trying to read Shakespeare as a second language. I mean, it's a it's a real slog. So Hiroko is really the the engine behind that in, in our in our partnership. Oh, <laughs> well, it, it it pays off. It's really good content. So why do you think that J- Japan has such a rich history of monsters? Uh, obviously, virtually all col- all cultures around the world have some sort of regional or local monster, but it's, it seems that Japan is really overrepresented <laughs> between Godzilla and and the the yokai and just what what is it about the, the traditions that have, that have spawned so many of these monsters? Just something about Japan, isn't there? No, it's it's <laughs> it's actually um, it, it's a really interesting question because you know, as you know, as you well know, people all over the world, civilizations have always had supernatural explanations for things that they don't understand in the world around them. That's not unique to Japan at all. I think we can all agree that with that. With that. But what is unique to Japan is that they created characters out of these explanations. They put faces on them. They gave them bodies and descriptions. And that is, that is exactly why that Hiroko and I strongly feel that the yokai are the precursors to all modern Japanese characters and mascots that we know so well. There's a little bit of yokai DNA in Hello Kitty. There's a lot of yokai DNA in the 
There's, and there's, there's quite a bit in, in Godzilla and things like that as well. And it's not direct, but there's absolutely a, mm-hmm. a sort of lineage there. And Japan, mm-hmm. yokai are an, are, are an example of why the, the, your real question comes down to why are Japanese people so great at creating characters? It's this tiny country in Asia, but yet, like, its characters are known all around the world, not just in Asia, in Europe, in America, you know, South America, North America, everywhere. And it's kind of a testament to that character creation sense that Japan has had for a long time. And the yokai are one example of that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're at the end of our hour here, but um, we try to ask every time uh, we have an interview now, we try to ask our guests um, what your favorite monster is. And I know you guys have been exposed to a lot of them. So, Hiroko, first, what's your favorite monster? My favorite uh, monster is it's Kutsuke Onna. The slash, uh, mouth. slash mouth woman. I lived with it when I went to elementary school. I discussed passionately how to survive um, from her attack. And so <laughs> I really cherished a memory. So um, my favorite woman, uh, I mean, yokai. Uh, is is slash mouth woman could suck it or not? You know, my I grew up on on things like God's movies and stuff like that, so I really I really love that kind of thing. But in the yokai realm, uh, my absolute favorite yokai is one called the Tofu Kozo, Tofu Boy. He's this little boy just walking around with a plate of tofu. That's all he is. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> I just crap my pants. <laughs> Example to me of how not all yokai are scary or dangerous or even really frightening. Uh, you know, he's just a, he's a little boy dressed in traditional kimono, walking around with a plate of tofu. And uh, you know, the other reason that I love him so much is because he, he's he's look, look at what we're doing right now. You know, these yokai these yokai talks always start out with people kind of being really serious about dangerous and scary ones, and they inevitably end with people laughing together at how yeah. crazy. Uh, the yokai are, and I think that that shows the sense of humor that you know Japanese people even hundreds of years ago had about the world around them. Yeah, I, the the one that got me out of the book was the Ashiari Yashiki, the giant. What? It's just yeah. a giant foot that comes through your ceiling and, you ha- and demands that you clean it. Yeah. <laughs> what? 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 You know, just, it's, I actually kind of want to run into that guy. You know. Yeah, it's very Monty P- Python. It is very Monty Python. Exactly. That's exactly. Only it's disgusting, right? <laughs> I, that, that's amazing. Anyway, this is a fantastic book. Uh, I didn't, you know, normally we ask our readers to give it a check. I demand everyone get a copy of this. We'll have to have you back to talk about your eye attack at some point. Anytime. Anytime. Okay. Yeah, great, great talking to you guys. You guys really are really great. Nice to, nice to hear your side on. You guys are our favorite podcast. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you. And you guys have a great evening or morning or whatever it is. Time's too complicated for me. (laughs) Monster Talk. Thanks for listening to another episode of Monster Talk. You've just heard an interview with Matt Alt and Hiroko Yoda about the Japanese folklore monsters known as yokai. I'm Blake Smith, and my co-host for this episode was Ben Radford. Monster Talk is produced with the help of Skeptic Magazine. If you're flying to Japan, why not take a copy of Skeptic Magazine? It's better reading material than SkyMall and won't break your bank account. The opinions expressed on Monster Talk are those of the hosts, the guests, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. If you enjoy Monster Talk, why not contribute a dollar or two to our transcription project? The donate link is on our website at monstertalk.org, down at the bottom. Oh, keep scrolling.
all the way down. There it is. Click there. Thanks for your support. Thanks to recent support from Wes Adams, Justin Robertson, and Robert Smith. We appreciate it. Monster Talk is rebroadcast in Michigan and parts of Canada on the AM radio. If you're involved in college radio, feel free to share our show. It's released with a Creative Commons license. Intro music to this episode was by Irokaz. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skepti, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit Skeptic.com today. We doing nude today? <laughs> no, I just, uh, I got, see, look, see, 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 I got pants on. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.